Okay. Pag-usapan natin to. Pag-usapan natin to. Kamusta kay John, mga kameta? Ito na, ito na. This is it. Let's go serious, no? Medyo technical, medyo serious ang discussion natin today. Hindi na mga currents of the Philippines, hindi Karenism or current Republic. Mamaya na natin pag-usapan yung Philippine Airlines, among others. Mamaya din natin pag-usapan mga away ng mga Marcoses, sibling rivalry supposedly, or yung pagbisita ni Marcos Jr. sa Estados Unidos. Pag-usapan natin yan uh, in the coming days mga kameta. For tonight, what I wanted to talk about is something that I've been following very closely, not only over the past few weeks or days, but all, but actually over the years, no? Because if you are following news, mga kameta, malalaman nyo na isang malaking issue ngayon is whether magkakaroon ng karabal ang US dollar specifically from China and the broader BRICS countries. No? Ito yung Brazil, Russia, India, China, and then sinama din yung South Africa dyan, mga kameta. Pag-usapan natin yan, whether this is feasible, whether this is something that we should take seriously, and how seriously should we take it, and how imminent is a supposed end of the U.S. dollar hegemony. Kasi mga kameta, since the end of Second World War, the U.S. dollar has been the global currency reserve. So even when bating U.S. economy in trouble, because yun yung global reserve currency, jan pumunta sa U.S. dollar ang mga uh, investors, jan pumunta mo sa U.S. dollar sa mga central banks sa ibang countries, or ordinary people. So the U.S. dollar has an adverse uh tendency in a sense that sometimes it's divorced from the economic reality, including the health of the U.S. economy, right? And this is something that has been irking a lot of people for quite some time, including some leading figures from the West. Pag-usapan natin yan, she's Charles de Gaulle from France. But most recently, of course, it was Lula da Silva, Lula Ignacio da Silva, the president of Brazil, who also raised the possibility of ending the U.S. dollar hegemony and starting more trading uh, in renminbi, Chinese renminbi or other currency to settle trades uh, and investment among different countries. Now, maraming mga myths dyan, maraming mga simplification dyan, maraming mga kaewanan dyan, maraming mga vested interests dyan, maraming mga ideological commentaries dyan. So the best way to deal with this, mga kameta, is to look at actual numbers. So I have a lot of graphs and data that I've prepared for you, not to mention readings for you guys to check on your own. All right? Uh, really, really interesting articles are coming out right and left, mga kameta. So I really suggest you guys to read about it, including two important academic works. One is by Berkeley economist Barry Eichengreen, uh, which looks at the emerge of renminbi. Uh, as a global currency without going through the conventional uh, current account liberalization scheme. And the other one is looking at how China's financial technological innovation, especially using more and more, uh, you know, you know, Alipay or, or other kind of uh, cryptocurrencies that uh, may actually also accelerate China's ability to become a major global currency in the way that it's still not. So we'll look at those studies very shortly and then I propose to sign you links to those studies para ma-appreciate you on your own, mga kameta. Of course, uh, there are a lot of writings out there, but I think a special uh, shout-out goes to the works of Neil Ferguson. Uh, not always a fan of Neil Ferguson because there are some 
medyo malabo at ideological yung mga arguments niya um, in terms of fiscal conservatism and libertarian economics but uh, he is the author of a fascinating book called The Ascent of Money right it's i think one of the best books out there about finance uh, and it takes a long jury or long view of history and emergence of money. So I really suggest you guys to read it. Super galing yung paggagawa na itong libro niya. And by the way, good news dun sa mga ayaw magbasa or tamad magbasa, there's actually documentary series of that that actually won an Emmy Award. No, So this is by Neil Ferguson, an extremely charismatic and articulate uh, historian, former in Oxford and Harvard, but now he's... Um, is actually there in uh, Stanford University, no? At uh, the Hoover Institution. So I really suggest you guys to read that. So that's why pagdating sa financial history, as much as mahalaman natin iba, kadulad ni sila Adam Tooze, among others, I think you have to really give it, uh, give credit where credit is due when it comes to Neil Ferguson. So ito pa yung book na sinasabi ko by Neil Ferguson, The Ascent of Money. He explains the emergence of the modern financial capitalist system by going all the way back, mga kameta. So I really suggest you guys to read this book by Neil Ferguson, The Ascent of Money. Uh, accordingly, of course, I also tried to check a number of explanations of anong, or anong mga best explanations out there, mga kameta, when it comes to, um, you know, whether my chance talaga na ma matapos itong dominance of US dollar hegemony. And I think he has provided the most extensive, comprehensive one in a single article or so. So I really suggest you guys uh, to read that, mga kameta. Let me bring that out. So I just had to also bring out the some of the papers that were cited para ma-appreciate niyan. So this is really the article I want you guys to read. Okay, on Bloomberg, the dollars the miss may come gradually but not suddenly. So drawing on the Hemingway line, uh, uh, I think Fiesta is the alternative title of that song also rises. Uh, don't tinitignan ni Neil Ferguson. Actually, very gradual yung magiging competition uh, ng, uh, between US dollar and, and, and Chinese renminbi. It's not going to be overnight. No, it's not going to be a collapse overnight. And he expects it to be at, uh, similar to the transition between British sterling as a global currency and, uh, and the US dollar. Balikan natin yung mga kameta. Let's, let's go now to the meat of discussion. Now, where did this all where did all of this big talk about BRICS start? Una una, ano pa yung BRICS? So this is the grouping of Brazil, Russia, India, China. Natatawa tayo kasi doon online may mga troll na inattack nila. Alam ba ni Hidarian ganito si BRICS BRICS parang dude, before you even knew there was a Twitter on earth or before you even knew there was a BRICS, I was already writing on this, right? Whether as a student or whether as a scholar, right? Um so BRICS actually was a term coined by the Goldman Sachs, a you know, hedge fund, financial institution in the Wall Street that look at the potential of major post-colonial or developing countries. Specifically, their ability to become the new pivots of global economies. So I think report back in 2001, uh, this is by O'Neill, Jim O'Neill. It was very famous. It made a lot of sense. Initially, it was just brick. Uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, pero sinama rin yung South Africa later on out of both political and interestingly also objective economic uh, 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 calculus. Now, this was actually less done by the Wall Street but by political leaders because bef uh, by, the, by the end of the 2000s, actually Russia, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Russia 
hosted one of the first summits of the so-called BRIC leaders, I think in St. Petersburg, right? So what was a Goldman Sachs report becomes a geopolitical reality because they realized in Russia, India, China, and Brazil that not only, only are they booming, but they have a greater chance of making their voice heard if they come together. And then later on, they in South Africa so that there's a more representation across different continents. On the surface, of course, um, they may all look like the new emerging superpowers, but they're extremely different economies. China is a global manufacturing powerhouse. South Africa is a semi-developed, a semi-developed country, but also a post-industrial country. Russia is similarly a post-industrial country with a shrinking population. Brazil used to have an immense manufacturing sector, but increasingly Brazil is becoming a more of an agriculture exporting countries. And then it's India, very service-dominated economy. So super iba-iba po yung kanilang mix uh, and matches. And of course, one big uh, implication of that is if these countries want to trade with each other, how much complementary there is. Kasi kung similar yung exports nila, sabi natin, Brazil and Russia, more raw material exporters, and both of them, their market is primarily China, it's hard to talk about a significant trade dynamic change between, let's say, Brazil or Russia for that matter, right? So complementarity is also something that you have to keep in mind, not to mention competition among some of these major emerging uh, economies. India, for instance, is looking at entering the manufacturing sector and becoming a manufacturing powerhouse, getting more and more Apple investments away from China, manufacturing investments away from China. So actually, there's going to be competition in the coming years or so. So this is a problem with people who buy too much into the, uh, let's say, I won't say propaganda, but the hype. Because if you really scratch below the surface, it's a far more complicated issue. Now, to be fair naman sa BRICS economies, uh, their share of the global GDP has, increasing, has been increasing steadily. Uh, more so if you look at purchasing power parity, but the PPP actually doesn't properly measure global influence. Uh, we can have a different discussion about that. So you actually have to look at the nominal rates in order to appreciate how much imp- more important the BRICS are. So just to give you an idea, this is a graph of more trade among BRICS countries, so you can see more, more and more increase, but clearly you can see China is just completely ahead of everyone else. So everyone else is kind of down there. China is the one exporting to the rest of them a lot, big time. So that's what I'm saying. It's hard to talk about BRICS when actually it's only China who's the major, major exporting powerhouse, especially in the manufacturing sector, and China is a top trading partner to all of the other BRICS countries, or at least number two or number three. Uh, I think it's number two in Brazil. It's increasingly becoming number one in Russia. So actually, in, among the BRICS, they're more dependent on China for, for imports than the other way around. Although China, of course, also imports a lot of agriculture produced from Brazil. It also imports, uh, increasingly more uh, oil and, to a lesser degree, gas from Russia. Nevertheless, as I said, there's a big big gap between China and the rest of the BRICS. So this is actually, a, so this is a better way of putting it. This is a graph that shows the growing share of BRICS countries as, as a, the, the, the boom in their GDP. Again, look at the graph. <coughs> Sorry. The light blue one is China. So again, if you look at the BRICS economies, really China is the big story. I mean, look at that graph. Easily what? Three-fourths, close to three-fourths, at least 60-65% of that is just China alone, right? So China is head and shoulders above all of the BRICS. I think I advertised ako ng shampoo without uh, intending to nakalibreng advertisement on. So if you look at the service, it's really China which is the big boy here, 
right? Uh, in terms of GDP size, in terms of going trade, among and uh, among BRICS countries and we, uh, and within BRICS economies, right? So this is something that you have to also keep in mind. That actually a lot of BRICS economies are worried because in the case of India, they feel that they lost on the first wave of globalization, manufacturing globalization because of China. In the case of Brazil, South Africa, and Russia, they're actually suffering deindustrialization as China becomes the top source of manufacturing imports, technological imports. And who knows down the road, even defense imports as China catches up with Russia and becomes a global defense force in uh, exporting country uh, in its own right. So again, yun nga yung point ko eh. Yung mga shallow magbasa, walang masyadong alam. Ngayon lang nakarinig ng BRICS, BRICS, BRICS. Galit sa US, pro-tatay, mahilig sa pamparangay geopolitics. They'll jump on these ideas right away. But then again, you have to properly an- analyze it. You have to look at uh, the bigger picture. Now, Let's look at some of the graphs and surveys that actually show the U.S. dollar is not as lousy as people think. Again, just to be absolutely clear about it, I am not a proponent of hegemony of any specific country or the U.S. dollar. If anything, I think the U.S. usage of its financial power to sanction many countries, Iraq in the past, Iran now, increasingly Russia, it may have its own geopolitical reasons to punish certain political leaders, whatever, but it's hurting a lot of ordinary people. Thousands of people in the Middle East, increasingly also in Russia, they cannot afford to buy medicines. They cannot get imported medicine, a lot of humanitarian goods because of U.S. sanctions or the U.S. leveraging of its financial power. So there are countries, for instance, like uh, in Europe who want to still trade with, let's say, Iran, but they cannot because there's U.S. sanctions there. So you get what I'm saying? So, no, this is not coming from a position of ideological uh Advocacy, definitely not. I'm never happy with anyone having hegemony because that's always open to abuse. But the question here is, what is the alternative and is the alternative really, really better? Or even the alternative, whether it's it's really an alternative to begin with. Meron ba talagang clear alternative to the U.S.? Now, if you look at actual studies and numbers, the picture is far more com- complicated, actually. And complicated in the sense that it shows China is making gains but nowhere close to where many people think. Now, just to put things into context, actually the US economy is still the biggest in the world in nominal terms. By far, you're looking at 25 trillion versus 18 trillion. Huge difference in terms of defense spending. Also, US has a far larger defense budget than China. Um, But more importantly, the US has a huge, huge advantage over everyone else in terms of financial prowess. Let me just show you some numbers. So here I'm indebted actually to fantastic work by Brad Setzer of CFR. He has written very good stuff on this issue. Again, uh, we're looking again at the data, no? Uh, So if you look at it, these are the numbers that show you the lowest. First of all, this one. Let me show you this. Doon sa mga kameta natin sa YouTube, don't worry about it. Popost natin itong mga numbers na to para ma-appreciate. Ito, ito. So if you look at it, actually this I, this is not from him, but it uses his calculation. Pros the International Monetary Fund calculation. I got this from Bloomberg, Neil Ferguson's article. So look at the line there, mga kameta. The blue, the light blue one is para Ateneo color. That's US dollar. The black one is Euro. The gray one is Japan. The light gray one is China. So if you look at it, yes, China's share is increasing, and there's a 
slight decrease in in america's share but it's still by far the biggest it, it doesn't even come close right so you have australia canada um great britain there so china is more like china is not even the top three it's not even in contention for any medal so u.s dollar is still by far so again you can see in the graph sobrang laki ng share ng u.s dollar now in terms of value of u.s dollar which reflects, you know, confidence of other countries in the U.S. dollar. Again, we can see that it's pretty steady if you average it over time. So from 1964 to 2021, over over a 60-year period almost, mga kameta, you can see that U.S. dollar real effective exchange rate has not significantly dipped. It's a bit lower than the 19, uh, uh, early 1980s and early 1960s, but it's actually way higher than it has been since... 1986 right so actually it improved since 1986 in terms of its effective rate of exchange based on the data by bank for international settlements right so again let's look at the actual data here now even more detailed ito yung mga, so i suggest you check the twitter of some of the experts here I'll, I'll post it later on so if you look at it for instance there's a slight dip here in terms of reported dollar reserves of different countries, yung green, pero ang laki pa rin, ang taas pa rin niya, diba? It's, it's lower than compared to say 2013, right? Or slightly around 2013, but it's still pretty high. It's still pretty high. Yung, yung, yung uh, hindi ganong ka strong shade, yung light green shade, that shows the other countries who are not reporting it fully. So actually, if, pag sinama mo, Medyo mataas siya ngayon, similar to the levels of 2016, if you look at it, the, the graphs. So actually, there's no indication that the U.S. dollar is being dumped by countries en masse because it's still maintaining very large share of the global exchange regime. And in fact, some of the reasons why the U.S. dollar had a slight downward fluctuation was because super high interest rate ng U.S. We can have a separate discussion about that. Uh, and... There are times whereby the euro became the backup option for a lot of countries who had issues with the United States. So actually, the one that benefited from a little bit downward fluctuation from, from, from the U.S. dollar is actually sometimes euro, right? So euro has cemented itself as the second most powerful currency in the world. That's something that you have to keep in mind. Again, the, this, these are the data. Let's look at the data. Let's look at the numbers, mga kameta. Hindi mga, mga kung ano mga ek-ek na sinisulat dyan, sinasabi dyan. The data is very clear. In fact, it's very interesting. There's this Financial Times piece that looked at the supposed end of US dollar, but in that piece alone, so you can check it on your own, mga kameta, in that piece alone, you can see that there's still a recognition of how dominant the US dollar is. So this is the piece, and US dollar, all right? But in the same piece, mga kameta, you will read, this is on the Financial Times, written by Robin Wigglesworth. So in the same piece, it's very clear that if you look at it, ito, basahin natin mga kamita. I'll bring out also more data in oh, ito, ito, ito. The Bank for International Settlements' latest triennial FX survey indicates that the U.S. dollar share of all currency terms has actually climbed from 85% in 2010 to 88% last year. Okay, so let me show you the exact... Right, so let me show you. So this is an article that talks about the end of U.S. dollar and yet still recognizes the fact that nag-increase pa nga yung share of U.S. dollar. 
so it's still close to 90%, right? I mean, that's that's a level of dominance that is hard to displace anytime soon. Now, we're not cheating for it. We're just saying, let's look at the facts. So this is the key quote that I brought out, Malcometa. You can read it yourself. Again, uh, all right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So look at the number. Okay. Again, this is what I'm, what I'm talking about. We have to be evidence-based. We have to look at the data. Of course, going from 1% for China to 7% is fantastic. It looks seven-fold increase. But as a global share, it's still very, very small. In fact, it's not even at that level. Now, it's true that China's, uh, that the usage of renminbi or Chinese currency for trade with certain countries jumping heavily, that's clear. But again, we're talking about the global level. Now, what are the reasons why China is not expected to displace the U.S. financial hegemony anytime soon? Is because, well, first of all, there are also other alternatives like euro and also yen, Japanese yen. Japan is still the third largest economy in the world. Eurozone is still collectively the second or first largest economic zone on earth, right? Uh, those are the things that we shouldn't forget. But the more important thing here is that the, U that the Chinese renminbi actually is not fully convertible. Right, so you cannot, unlike dollar, you can convert it anywhere on Earth because liberalizing current account in the U.S. You cannot do the same thing with Chinese renminbi, and in fact, the Chinese renminbi itself is pegged to the U.S. dollar. Not to mention, Malcometa, China has what you call capital controls, because the Chinese government is a little bit con control-ish, right? Um, major micromanager. They want to have a lot of control of, over how much money can get out of the country because one f big fear that china has is that if they fully liberalize the current account marami mga mayayaman chinese ilalabas nila ng pera nila to put it in more safe havens we already know that a lot of rich chinese keep on taking out their money and bringing it to australia to new zealand uh, to europe among others punta ka sa france sa provence purong binili ng mga chinese i mean there's a lot of outward investments from china but that will be super next level if china fully liberalizes its current account. Having said that, though, there are two interesting. See, I'm I'm being fair here. We're looking at on all, all angles. Having said that, though, there are two important studies here, here that look at the possibility for China to steadily increase its share of global foreign exchange uh, foreign exchange rates. Now, one is this interesting study by Ali Naf, Eric Monet. So. Uh, Barry, uh, Iken Green, among others, it looks at Renminbi's unconventional route to reserve currency status. So I suggest you guys read it on its own because it looks at the way by which even if Chinese Renminbi is not fully convertible, because it's a top trading partner of many countries, more and more countries are feeling comfortable getting more and more Renminbi, right? And they're also more comfortable of dealing with the Chinese central bank, right? to diversify away from dollar. Again, this is more of hedging than really finding an alternative. Another important study, if not even more important study, looks at the role of financial innovation. So historically, one reason why US dollar was easily able to supplant the sterling of UK was the financial engineering innovations that the US did in the second half of the 20th century. The argument here by Kimball and uh, Feng Juan uh, Xiao is that China is so effective in introducing new currencies, cryptocurrencies, Alipay, etc., that that could kind of muddy the water and create a new dynamics by which China can accelerate exponentially its share of the global currency exchange. Because we're already now talking about even more and more 
uh, alternative currencies, not hard currencies, but alternative currencies. Now, the same way that we went from gold standard to fiat money, now we can go from fiat money to other kind of alternative forms of currencies. Again, these are papers that are interesting and show the long-term potential of Chinese renminbi. But as I said again, there's still no evidence that the Chinese renminbi can replace the US dollar in the next year or even the next 10 years or so. So many are thinking maybe we're looking at the Chinese renminbi becoming a third largest bronze medal currency, as Ferguson puts it, maybe by the middle of the century, right? Steady increase. So US dollar will not be as dominant as it's historically been, but it's still expected to be around 50, 60% of the share with China moving up to probably 10%, EU moving to around 15, 20%, yen maybe five to 8%. Those are the numbers we're looking at. So these, are, these things are important to keep in mind. Nevertheless, as I said, let's keep an open mind because we don't want to be ideological about this. Let's see how financial engineering, let's see how monetary policy in China models could introduce new dynamics. Let's also see how the BRICS countries are going to deal with lack of complementarity among each other and not to mention competition between India and China, not to mention China driving the industrialization in Brazil, Russia, and South Africa, which are increasingly turning into just mining uh, sites for China and the more developed economies. No? So these are the dynamics that we have to talk about, Mahameta. I know this was a little bit maybe heavy or maybe not Bardagula as usually expected it, but Mahameta, this is what we want to do. Once in a while, at least do a kind of a semi-lecture. Uh, no? Again, I, hopefully one day, uh, hopefully kumayos natin, um, Mayos natin ang uh, um, setup natin all. I want to do proper lecture on this, maybe in my own show on TV or maybe in studio, maybe both. But for now, I just wanted to give you uh, an overview of what is the current debate on this and ano yung mga angles na dapat titignan yung mga kameta when you want to make educated guess about the direction of the global financial cold war that is happening between U.S. and China. But all I can say for now is that it looks that the U.S. is in a very, very, very uh, dominant position. All right. Are there any questions, mga kameta? All right, man. Thank you tayo dito sa mga nakikinig sa atin. Maraming salamat again. As always, ayan, sinyan. See, the Fed looking to the making its own crypto dollar. Okay, Pat is talking about that. Now, there was very, something very interesting said. Oh, in, sorry, I didn't even quote Lula, Charles de Gaulle, etc. Because... Lula and Charles de Gaulle actually, Charles de Gaulle more than 50 years ago already talked about the end of US dollar hegemony. Lula